Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi everyone, welcome to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino. It's my Halloween episode. I love that spooky little music I put up front, and if I could have, I would have put Bette Midler's I'll Put a Spell on You from Hocus Pocus, but unfortunately I have no money to do that, and that would that would cost money, so that was the free Halloween music I found, and I loved it. So I love Halloween so much. It is one of my favorite holidays. I love this time of year. Christmas is my number one holiday, and that's largely due to Mariah Carey. But Halloween's like a, a, a close third, I'd say. It's like Christmas, Thanksgiving, because you can eat so much, and then Halloween. And, and actually, really, you can eat for all those holidays, which that's what we love about holidays, right? Like, what would we do without holidays? How would we binge eat? Where would we get our sweets? I mean, the idea that we have this holiday where we go to people's doors and knock and then they give us candy. I mean, it's brilliant. It's so American. It's just, it makes me so happy. And to see kids dressed up and happy and smiling. And I don't know when it happened, but it seems like adults and and gays in particular have really uh, taken to Halloween and made it into something a little bit different. Equally as wonderful and celebratory and festive but just much different. When I was younger, I don't remember adults being so into Halloween or or even Halloween being as commercial as it is now. And I certainly don't remember gay people throwing on some leather chaps and a baseball cap and telling people they're a ball player, you know, walking around town. But, you know, maybe I was just, maybe it was just a different part of town. I don't know. I, I think it's a good thing. Anything to make people happy and smile and, and laugh and drink more and eat more candy, I think is a good thing. Now, me personally, I'm not great at dressing up for Halloween. I kind of throw something together at the last minute every year. Last year, I put on like a a long brown wig because I like to wear a wig. That's one thing I do love about Halloween. I think it's a great time to put on a wig and some fucking makeup and just do something ridiculous. But but I don't ever plan far enough in advance. So last year, I just I had a I put on a like '70s porn mustache a long brown wig, and aviators. Well, I, I look like sort of a 70s porn star. And when people asked what I was, I just told them I was uh, one of the producers of Lady Gaga's Joanne album. <laughs> so, like, really... But people believed it. I mean, it, it kind of fit, right? Like, that's what you would picture as someone who produced that album, I think. You know, and then the year before, I believe it was, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I dressed as zombie Diane Keaton from Something's Gotta Give. It was uh, my first and only time doing drag. I, again, I'd love to do it at, like, full drag, you know, with uh, a good makeup artist and someone to do my hair and everything. But that was the only other time where I dressed up in drag. And I just put on an all-off-white outfit. You know, I had khaki long pants, and I had a, a off-white sweater, a white t-shirt, and I had gray hair, like Diane Keaton in Something's Gotta Give. Like, it was a little more gray and silver. And I had the 
the fisherman's hat that she wears on the beach when her and Jack Nicholson are collecting uh, seashells. And I put on some makeup to make me look sort of like from the dead, kind of walking dead makeup. And I was zombie Diane Keaton from Something's Gotta Give. And I loved it. And the costume was a big hit. It was it was featured on BuzzFeed, some BuzzFeed list that somebody sent me. And so, you know, I, I count that as a success. I don't know. So I'd love to see what you guys are dressing up as. And I love when people post online. That's my favorite time of year on Instagram and, and Twitter because you get to see what everyone looks like. And people are throwing on these crazy elaborate costumes. And it's so fun to see. And I love when people are slutty because it's nice to see what people look like in that way. And then I also love when people are the opposite of slutty, when they overdo their makeup and they just dress funny. And it's, oh, and that reminds me, my absolute favorite part of Halloween. I mean, and this is something I look forward to every single year. To me, it just warms my heart. It makes me so, so happy. And it's Halloween day. And it's all the talk show hosts that dress up for Halloween. I just love to put on the Today Show, and see what they stuff Matt Lauer in, to see what Al Roker's wearing, Kathy Lee and Hoda, the, the ladies of The View. I'm a huge View fan, and they always go all out. And I mean, it's just so great to see these professional journalists forced to dress up for these silly talk shows. I mean, in years past, we've seen Barbara Walters dressed as a Playboy Playmate. We've seen Kathy Lee and Hoda dressed as Star Wars characters. If you haven't seen that, please go look it up. Uh, Matt Lauer dresses in drag almost every year. Wendy Williams has done it all. She dressed as Lucy from Peanuts, which was great one year. I will record every single fucking episode of a talk show on Halloween day or, or whatever the, the last weekday is before Halloween, the day that they make all the hosts dress up because it is just the absolute best. The fact that we get to turn on the TV every year and see these ridiculous costumes that these television personalities largely do not want to wear. I mean, they have to show up extra early to get in full hair and makeup for these stupid fucking shows. And it's just amazing. And and not only that, but if there's breaking news or if you put on a show like The View that talks politics and, and policy and all that kind of thing, to see them talking about politics and our president and all that stuff in full fucking makeup like a, a Power Ranger or, or a fucking troll... You know, that is a good thing. We are we are not worthy of that. So so this year, everyone turn on all their talk shows and, and enjoy them because it truly is a great thing. Okay, so I mentioned that this week is going to be a Halloween episode and I have the most amazing Halloween guest. His name is Aaron Wallace, but I interviewed him. He wrote a book called Hocus Pocus in Focus. Now, I had read this book last year. And I just thought it was so fantastic. He gives all sorts of inside information about the making of the movie. He interviewed the people that made it. And he really is just so passionate about this movie. And he's a huge Disney buff. So he's also written other Disney-related books. But uh, his book, Hocus Pocus in Focus, is all about Hocus Pocus. And I honestly, if you guys are interested at all, please go pick it up. Buy it on Amazon. I'm, I'm sure it's on Kindle and Barnes & Noble and all, all those places. Because it's so fantastic. And he was so nice when I reached out to him and I said, can I interview you for this Halloween show? He was so enthusiastic and wonderful. And please go follow him on, on Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. So I'm really excited for you guys to see it because I love the movie Hocus Pocus. I mean, I was raised on that. And I, like I said last week, I noticed sort of a shift. It was heralded for a while when social media and everything was taking off, all of a sudden I noticed every Halloween, Hocus Pocus would come back into the conversation and people would be tweeting about it and Facebooking about how they're watching it and all that stuff. 
and then lately I noticed a little bit of a dip and backlash against it. And it's so frustrating when backlash starts to happen because it's like everyone loves this thing and, and people are happy about it. And we're all just looking for things to get excited about, right? I mean, I'm a lover of pop culture and I love to love all this nonsense. And so when people like something else and people find a community of, of people that rally around something they like, it's to me a beautiful thing because A, we're all so divided, we know that. But B, it's just something that brings a smile to our faces and makes us happy. And so I always get so frustrated when the backlash starts to happen with anything. And it's I'm talking about it in relation to Hocus Pocus, but it seems to happen with everything that becomes popular. And then all of a sudden we start to hate it. And so I don't know, I just want this episode to embrace something that a lot of us, I think, love. If you don't love it, I get it, it's fine. Then turn off this episode. <laughs> don't listen to it. It's fine. But I love this movie, and there's a lot of other Halloween movies I love. Practical Magic is one of my favorites for female leads, and it's not uh, it's not a big gross-out comedy. It's just a nice movie about these witches, and it's lovely. Uh, other Halloween movies that are great, Nightmare Before Christmas. I don't know. Do we? Do you guys consider that a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie? I always think of it as Halloween. And, you know, those stop-motion animation movies are great. Corpse Bride is really good. And if you guys have never seen Paranorman, I love Paranorman. And there's actually, this is important, Paranorman is not only great, but it also features a gay character. And it's a kid's movie. It's claymation or stop-motion animation. I don't know if it's clay, but it's, it's stop-motion animation. And there's a gay character, which is amazing for a kid's movie. I mean, Disney hasn't been had the balls to do that yet. I hope they will. Uh, but... Paranorman is, is, is fantastic, so if you've never seen that, it's sort of for kids, but I think adults will get something out of it. I grew up loving Casper, of course, when Casper turns into Devon Sawa. I think that was one of the first times where I thought, as a kid, like, I might be gay. Like, I was really into the human form of Casper. Oh my god, and I downloaded that song. Do you remember that song that plays when they're dancing? It's called Remember Me This Way by Jordan Hill. And I remember just searching for that song on Napster and trying to download it anywhere I could. Because, oh, I, I loved Casper. I wanted to be Christina Ricci. Oh my god, she was so good. And Devin Sawa was just so hot in that role, I thought, as a child, you know. Christina Ricci was also in those Adams Family movies, which are just so fucking iconic. Right? Like, those are good. I don't know, so you get the picture. I like sort of those more friendly Halloween movies. I'm not good with the slasher stuff because I'm prone to depression. So I, I have to sort of stay away from those slasher horror flicks. But I do like Halloween. I like the original Halloween. I mean, I like I Know What You Did Last Summer, Scream. Those aren't necessarily set around Halloween, but they're horror movies good to watch around Halloween. You know, speaking of things that made me gay, Ryan Phillippe in I Know What You Did Last Summer definitely made me gay. And I, you guys, I ran into him once when I was hiking, and he was stunning. He was stunning. And hiking wasn't even the first time I ran into him because I used to bartend in Hollywood at this place that is a spa, but there's a bar and restaurant attached. And so I was a bartender in the in the restaurant part. And so some of the clientele would come in in their robes or towels. And guys, one time I was bartending. It was very empty. Ryan Phillippe came in his robe and towel into the bar and restaurant. I served him sangria. I was sweating profusely. I mean, it was fully air conditioned, but I was wet in a lot of more ways than one. And I remember he 
left the bar and he was going into the locker room to presumably change. And I had one of those, one of those moments where there was an angel and devil on my shoulder. And I was sitting there thinking like, should I go follow him into the locker room? And, or should I, you know, continue doing my job? And I I ended up continuing doing my job, but I was ready to risk it all for Ryan Phillippe in the locker room. I mean, if he would have given me any sort of signal or sign that he wanted me to follow him into the locker room, I might have done it. But you guys, he is stunning. His body is fantastic. Oh my God, I need to go, I need to go dry off sweating again. <laughs> I mean, what were we even talking about? I forget. I've forgotten. All I can think about is Ryan Phillippe in that shower scene from I Know What You Did Last Summer, which leads to a domino effect that now I'm thinking of that scene in Cruel Intentions when Reese Witherspoon walks in and Ryan Phillippe is, has a towel, but his towel is hanging over his head, so you see all of him. Oh, wow. He's beautiful. He's stunning, and he's still stunning. I mean, that body, he's like over 40, and he still looks like he's fucking 21. It's insane. <sighs> anyway, enough about me. I'm going to let you guys enjoy this interview. Let me know what you guys think. Send me a message on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. On Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Danny Pellegrino. On Facebook, I'm at Pellegrino Danny. And if you guys can, go write me a review on iTunes. It would be great. I'd love it. I'd love you forever. God, I'm talking so fast. Am I talking too fast? I'm talking fast. Anyway, please enjoy my interview with Aaron Wallace about all things Hocus Pocus. Okay, guys, so I'm here with Aaron Wallace. Aaron is the writer of the book Hocus Pocus in Focus, right? That's the name of it, right, Aaron? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Focus in Focus. I want to make sure I'm not missing a subtitle or something, but the book is so good. I got it for Christmas and I loved it. And I I want to know what inspired you to write this book. What, what made your love of Hocus Pocus so vast that you had to get it down on paper? Oh, gosh. Well, first, let me say thank you for having me on the show. I'm so honored to be one of your first guests on a new podcast. And thank you for the kind words about uh, the book. I didn't know that it was a Christmas gift. That's like the best thing ever to hear as an author, because as much as I love Halloween, I love Christmas too. So it's always cool to like be a part of that for somebody. Um, yeah, it was great. I read it right away too. It was like such a great read. It's so fun. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. I mean, yeah. So like you, I mean, I've, I've always been sort of a pop culture junkie and really obsessed with Hocus Pocus uh, seasonally and kind of all year long. Going back to my childhood, I've I remember seeing it in theaters in 1993, and it's just been kind of a growing obsession since then. And I think that's true not only for me, but just generationally for millions of people. Uh, And just over the last few years, it started to occur to me that there's a lot of stuff going on in Hocus Pocus. I mean, on on the one hand, this is a uh, a PG-rated, Disney-branded family holiday film. Uh, and yet, when you start to kind of feel the layers, it's a very weird movie for that genre. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of dark, it's kind of scary, it's kind of sexual. There's all this talk about virgins and Sarah Jessica Parker's locking boys in cages and saying, <laughs> I want to play with them. And the mom's got like a Madonna cone bra. It's like, what yeah. is going on in this in this movie? And then, so that's like the content of the film. And then you, you look at the the history of its release, and that's weird too. I mean, it was a Halloween movie, but it was released in the middle of the summer against Jurassic Park. It flopped. It made like no money. The critics savagely ripped it apart. The cast and crew like tried to pretend it never happened. Everyone was embarrassed by it. Disney like didn't want to acknowledge it. And then never somehow, won. yeah, 20, 24 years later, it's now it became sort of a cult classic and then i would argue it's even gone beyond that a little bit to become this this like pop cultural bona fide pop cultural phenomenon yes and and so 
it's just sort of like sitting back with with the benefit of hindsight 24 years later and be like well, how did that happen and i think really this weirdness that's in the movie the the darkness the edginess the, the sexuality all of that is is really informing the the generational response that we're seeing these decades later so it's, it's all kind of tied together and so like that to me is what no one was talking about it. like mm-hmm. with, you look at other movies that have sort of cast a spell over over america like the wizard of oz okay or, or harry potter or casablanca or whatever and, and we don't ever think it's strange to ask like well what like why why do people why does the wizard of oz have such a hold on, on people but, but i guess because hocus pocus was a flop and because it's kind of this zany comedy just no one was asking that question but i think it's actually as interesting as the wizard of oz and, and i would argue as important yeah well i remember you know i grew up with this movie too i remember just looking online for information about it and like you said there wasn't much about it anywhere that was what was so great about your book was because it's like you get these little nuggets of information about casting or the soundtrack and and it's like that stuff was nowhere before and now it's arguably more popular than ever this movie yeah you you come across like buzzfeed or whoever will do like 23 facts you didn't know about hocus pocus and if you read enough of these then you'll start to kind of gather all the facts but like you said there's there's never been this one source for all this information about hocus pocus and then what there is some of it conflicts and and, you know it's, it's never like sourced or anything and so uh, yeah, the book isn't isn't primarily, as you know, like a collection of trivia, but there is this whole section in the back where I wanted to, as kind of a bonus, assemble like four fans, a kind of ultimate definitive, like, here's everything that the that the world knows about this movie, you know, kind of documented and, and with citations and all of that. Yeah, and uh, the forward of the book is uh, by Thora Birch, who played Dan, yeah. which is amazing. How did you get her involved in this? Yeah, you know, I reached out to uh, a number of cast and crew, like basically anyone who i had some sort of means of getting a hold of them uh which you know like bet miller is impossible to reach or for me she's yeah, i've been trying to, reach, to but, but just for my own pleasure <laughs> we all are we all are but no um so I, I just sent out you know some letters uh to different agents and managers who i had contact information for and i expected to hear back from no one mm-hmm. uh, but i had the opposite problem nearly everyone i was actually able to contact got back to me uh, and so then all of a sudden i had this issue like oh my gosh i was only planning on having a forward so Thora was super enthusiastic about writing the forward. And so I got to, over the course of several months, email back and forth with her and, and get to know her a little bit. And I mean, just like, like totally surreal the entire time. Yeah. Cause I, you know, if you grew up in the nineties, you know, you were, you're, you were kind of a Thora Birch fan. Cause she was yeah, everywhere. Yeah, that monkey trouble was like a if favorite of mine. Trouble, <laughs> do you remember yeah. that? Of course I do. Oh my God, it was Absolutely. good. Absolutely. Yeah. And all I want for Christmas. Then of course she mm-hmm. went on to do like grown up things with American beauty and she's doing a bunch of stuff now too. Uh, but she was so like honest to God, genuinely excited. And I was like, you know, Hey, do you want, you know, do you want me to send you over some sort of like starting points? So she's like, no, 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 I got this. Like I've got yeah. a lot to say about the movie. So it was cool to see how, how excited she was. Uh, Mick Garris, who was one of the co-writers for the film. He also like before yeah. he even responded, he, he read what I sent him, the excerpt of the book and just took it upon himself to write something. So while I was going back and forth with Thora one day, uh, this this beautiful piece from Mick Garris just showed up in my uh, box, and he said, "I want to be a part of this book too." So, That's so great. the response from cast and crew, I think, like they've come to love the movie as much as the rest of us have, and I think they are as surprised as anyone that it's had this this kind of response. Yeah, you know, it was really interesting when in the book you, I I think you say it's the Home Alone of Halloween, right? That's the yeah. chapter title, um, because it follows the patterns of a typical Christmas movie. You said you're a big Christmas fan, but it's set at Halloween, 
which I, I, I don't know, I found that interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. And if you, if you look at 1993 and going back into like the 1980s, this whole idea of the Halloween family film, and there were a few of them, but it, it wasn't the, the genre that it is now where you expect there to be a few new arrivals in this genre every single year, right? Like Freeform or, or whoever is going to show mm-hmm. up with some sort of new made-for-TV movie every year, or the Disney Channel. And, uh, but that just didn't happen so much. And so it is interesting that they were able to kind of identify this need that no one else knew was out there because even if you look at like commercial candy sales and costume sales halloween was starting to become this large Mm -hmm. industry right in the the late 80s early 90s and so a lot of it was just timing and and david kirshner who created this story really just kind of had his finger on the pulse there and he said you know now's the time to do a story like this and he had a great idea for one and so uh, it was really just just the perfect storm uh and i think that because it is, it borrows the narrative or, or follows the form of a typical Christmas story, a Grinch story, a Home Alone, a Christmas Carol, and It's a Wonderful Life. It borrows so many elements from those narratives. It, it allowed the movie to kind of feel at home for you know, to be this like annual tradition in the way that those other Christmas movies are for us. Yeah. Now the movie re- was released in summertime. Did you ever get an answer on why it was released in the summer and not closer to Halloween? Disney has a history of releasing movies at the weirdest time. Uh, you know, they, they they put so much into trying to bring Winnie the Pooh back as like not a as a, as a non preschool property a few years ago, and there was a whole lot riding on this franchise, and then they released it against Harry Potter. I think it was the final Harry Potter film. It's just like why? Like yeah, that's why targeting. Do do it? Yeah, yeah, same family audience, and and they've done a lot of this. But I I think the real answer might be um, Cool Runnings. The movie Cool Runnings. The John Candy, uh, Olymp- was it Olympics? Set at the Olympics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you look at the release slot, there was a slot for, um, that would have been perfect for, for Hocus Pocus to come out in the uh, in the Halloween season, but there were some delays with Cool Runnings. So it ended up taking that slot, which didn't really make sense either because it's kind of more of a winter movie. Uh, so my guess is that that is probably uh, what happened there. Why do you think it's resonated with people for so long when, when people see it? Why do you think they respond to it the way that they do? Well, one of the things I talk about in the book is is the idea of the happy accident film. Like you, you're just kind of channel surfing and uh, you come across a movie and you, you, know, you don't know what it is, you've never heard of it before, and you maybe kind of catch it halfway through and you just get totally sucked into it. Yeah. And it, it, it creates this sense that like you've discovered something special. You haven't heard of this movie. No one else has been talking about it. And, and so you form a bond. That bond is intensified if the movie's weird because you feel like you're you're sort of going against expectation right like it's, it's almost like taboo like you're doing something you're not supposed to like this is this is this weird witchy like family film but it's talking about sex and just all this weirdness and the fact yeah. that like, gary and penny marshall are siblings <laughs> yes. they're, they're siblings in real life but they play a couple which is Married so weird in the film. it's so weird uh though i do think that's interesting i get into analyzing that just a little bit in the book yeah. but um i think all of this creates a fascination and a bond with a film that then when it starts to spread like you you have this experience with it and then you find that other people have been having the same experience through repeat viewings on television the same thing happened with wizard of oz and casablanca mm-hmm. uh that all of a sudden you know after enough years go by everyone has formed this deep personal once secret bond <laughs> with this film <laughs> and now it's everyone's secret but i do think that a particular exposure at a young age to these mature 
themes to a movie that scared you a little bit, to a movie that introduced you to concepts that maybe you didn't understand, but you still gather from the context of the film that when they're talking about virginity, that they're talking about something that's kind of hush-hush, that all of this breeds fascination and and bonding with Yeah, so all these weird little touches you you just mentioned, when you were talking to the writer and communicating with him, who who he wrote the afterward, did he give you an idea of if these were things that were in the initial script, or did they come about from the director, the cast? Yeah, so I've gotten a chance through the release of this book. Yeah, as I said, if, if some of the cast and crew uh, responded to my initial letters, but since the book was released, I've heard from so many people. Um, Kenny Ortega, who directed it, has contacted me. A bunch of the different actors. Uh, I actually just had dinner with uh, David Kirshner, who created the story and then went on to produce and co-write. Oh my gosh, it was so awesome! Like, yeah. So surreal. We were in Disneyland. It was great. Uh, but. Yeah, and, and I, I want to be careful not to not to share too much of what they said because I know it's all it's important yeah. to all of them that the film be able to speak for itself. But Hocus Pocus was not only a labor of love, but it was a long labor. I mean, the initial proposal happened in the eighties, uh, I think like the mid eighties, and then it wasn't until nineteen ninety three that the movie was released. And over the course of that time, it was pitched to different directors, different studios, different writers uh, came and went. And uh, by the time all was said and done, I, I don't know that anyone's vision for Hocus Pocus was the definitive vision for the film. It was originally conceived as an even darker, even scarier, but but probably somewhat less sexual film mm-hmm. um, with even younger children as the characters. That was kind of the original pitch. And, and then with, with studio intervention and different writers coming in, well, it, it ended up being the thing that it is. But you know, none of this stuff ends up on a page by accident, right? Yeah. Like Virgin talk is not immaculately conceived. Like it doesn't just wind up on a page. And so even though I don't know that it was any one person who said like this is this is what I want for this film nevertheless it is what it is at the end result of, of everyone sort of like all these cooks being in the kitchen now in the book you mentioned Steven Spielberg getting involved uh, can you touch on that a little bit yeah you know this is so fascinating to me I mean I love I don't know how you feel I love Steven Spielberg oh, I love him yeah Okay, What's yeah, your favorite? Okay. Do you have a favorite Spielberg? Uh, oh, man. Uh, okay, well, yeah, I would have to say The Color Purple, even though yeah. that's not typical for Spielberg, but that's probably my favorite film of all time. Interesting. Uh, yeah. But I don't know. What's yours? Oh, I love Catch Me If You Can is my favorite, yeah. which is also not very conventional. You're, you're right. In it's other, not. Other ways, but I love it. So I could, it's the most rewatchable for me. If I had to go, like, conventional Spielberg, I would say probably, like, E.T. E.T., followed by yeah. Hook. Yeah, they're all good. But anyway, Hocus Pocus is a very uh, Spielbergian sensibility about it uh, in the cinematography, in the set design. You know, the, the thing that made Spielberg famous, if you go back and look at, like, early reviews of his film when he was first becoming kind of a big deal with Jaws and E.T., yeah, he was he was the big kid with the camera lens. And that, you know, he had this sense of wide-eyed wonder. And you get that with these shots and Hocus Pocus sort of looking up at the witch's cottage as if the camera is nervous you know or is, is in awe of what it's seeing. So interesting and, and then to, to learn that actually this film was pitched to spielberg at one point to know that so many of the people who wrote the film and worked on the film were there because they had worked with spielberg on previous projects to learn that spielberg actually visited the set while the film was being made like the witch's cottage spielberg was there yeah. uh so it, one of the other uh, someone else who's written about this uh movie briefly for disney talked about it as being dusted with spielberg pixie dust yeah. uh and i think that's a great way of putting it and and what's one of the theories that i explore in the book is that we can actually think about this movie as a spielberg movie even 
Ah, I love that sound, don't you? And that's the sound you're going to hear when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Uh, We use it here at Everything Iconic. Shopify is the best all-in-one commerce platform capable of handling all your business complexity, no matter how big you grow. I think it's fantastic. You're probably thinking, sure, but migrating is going to be a headache, but Shopify's app store has the migration apps you need to migrate all of your products, your orders, your customers, and more uh, from every major e-commerce platform all the way to Shopify. And I always hate when I'm shopping online and I have to re-enter all of my information. Well, Shopify store remembers your shipping address, your payment information. So if you're on the couch and your wallet's on the kitchen counter, you don't have to get up, which is nice. So sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash everything iconic, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com slash everything iconic. Shopify, S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash everything iconic. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. And we all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Sometimes the small stressors are the worst for me because I cannot stop thinking about them when I'm trying to sleep or when I'm trying to go about my day. I keep those little things bottled up and it can start to affect me negatively. Now, therapy is a safe space to get those things off of my chest and figure out how to work through all that stuff. And if you've never benefited from therapy, I think it's time you explore. I think anyone can be helped by going to a professional therapist. It's so incredibly helpful to get those coping skills skills and uh, deal with those stressors. So uh, if you're thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you got to do is fill out this quick, brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge, which I think is so important. uh, So that way you find someone that you work well with. Now, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Everything Iconic today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Everything Iconic. He clearly didn't direct it and, and no one reports that he did, but you can still think about it in that in those terms because his shadow looms so large and, and this whole movie was kind of conceived and created in Spielberg's shadow. And the cast is just so amazing. I was just talking to a friend. I mean, Bette Midler, Kathy Jimmy, and Sarah Jessica Parker just make the best trio of witches. Like, they're just so good. They really do. And wasn't do. it supposed to be uh, Rosie O'Donnell was offered the role of Mary? Yeah, Rosie O'Donnell was offered that role, and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was offered the uh, the role of Max. So it could have been a very different movie. I, I don't know. I actually think they both would have been... I don't know. What do you think? I, I think they would have been good in those roles. I'm sure that. I mean, I, I'm a huge Rosie O'Donnell fan. Me too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's embarrassing, but I love she, her. She retweeted I, you, right? She has. Yes, she has. She has. That's awesome. That's the yeah. ultimate claim to fame. I know. I'm like a huge. Uh, I loved her talk show. I grew up on her talk show. So me too. Uh, yeah. I was just like upset. I mean, I, I'm still obsessed with her. I love her. So I would have loved to see it. But I also love Kathy and Jimmy in that role. And I feel like Kathy brought a few improv touches to it. Like I'm, I'm oh, not yeah. sure how much she improvised, but I, it feels like she added a few things. Oh, she is. She is so good. And to me, her best moment is when she's watching that commercial. Uh, in the master's oh, house yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, the camera that? just yeah the baby commercial the... yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and and the camera just cuts to her face you know and she has this, this exaggerated scream and it's i mean it's comedy gold it's just a real quick 
cut to her. She's so she good with that crooked mouth. Yes, yes. And to know how much of that character, actually, all three of the actresses, the characters were sort of loosely defined in the script, so they were allowed to develop the characters for themselves, and they really did. And if you go back and read some of the early interviews, some of which I've excerpted in the book, uh, they, uh, they they talk about like their individual inspirations uh, and and the process they went through for creating the characters. It's just fascinating to know that uh, in that sense, they were almost writers themselves. Um, mm-hmm. And and so I think their characters are really expressions of them as actresses and as and as individuals and so if you study like Bette Midler's filmography or even her music work you can see there's so many connections between what she's interested in as a person and and the character she created in Winifred Sanderson and I think that might be why she loves the role so much because yeah. she often calls it her, her favorite um, role that she's ever done and yeah I just read um, I just read recently she said I mean I, I know she said in the past and I just heard her say recently again that was her favorite role she's ever done yeah and I think you know part of that is probably she's she's seeing for herself that this might be the movie that is her legacy film and mm-hmm. you know, even 10 years ago certainly 15 years ago I don't think she ever would have thought that nor would anyone have I mean you'd probably say the rose or maybe Beaches. First Wives Club or oh, Beaches, yeah. God, I but, love yeah, First Wives Club so much. <laughs> oh, me too. Me too. I was that was that was my jam in the nineties. Because I, I couldn't, you know, as a kid, I could not watch Bette Midler's R-rated stuff, and that's what she was best known for. By the way, that's another fascinating thing about Hocus Pocus. In nineteen ninety three, Bette Midler was not in the business of making family entertainment. I mean, she mm-hmm. was a, a body brassy kind of dirty um you know tongue-in-cheek may westian kind of entertainer you know there was that do you want to dance with me or something like that she became famous uh early on for having this kind of orgasmic performance on television and she used to perform in gay bathhouses that was where yeah. she first started performing yeah yeah bathhouse betty and then even her her early film successes you look at the rose outrageous fortune down and out beverly hills i mean these were somewhat raunchy r-rated comedies and then she stars in Disney's 1993 Hocus Pocus. And so, I mean, even within the Disney fold, because most of these were, were Disney movies under their Touchstone label, she was known as, like, the R-rated entertainer. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, Michael Eisner, then CEO of Disney, brought her into the Disney company because he wanted someone who could be the face of R-rated Disney under their other labels. And so it's, it's just all very interesting that she would come into this family film and that it would then end up being Disney's edgiest movie uh, you know, certainly to that time, and I would say maybe even to this day. Yeah. Do you know when it started kind of catching on? Like, aside from you know the initial release, what year? Around what year was it where they started playing it on ABC Family, and which is now Freeform? When do you think uh, it started to really catch that cult status? You know, I'm not sure like what was the very first year that you know, for example, ABC Family picked it up, but I think that it really was the social media age and the, and the listicle age <laughs> mm. that that things started to change. And I, uh, I there's a section in the back of the book where I kind of trace this history uh, by going back to some of the first major publications like from Entertainment Weekly and whatnot, uh, where where they would start to publish articles that focused on Hocus Pocus. And then there just it was this. Um, this snowball effect where you know the next halloween there'd be even more and then we started getting the hints of sequels you know year after year after year there'd be yes, a, yeah, a sequel's us. happening oh it's not happening it's happening it's not happening and i mean the internet would just go nuts every time and of course that's something that couldn't happen pre-social media uh, and so I think the movie was out there. It was percolating. It was having, as I said, these individual sort of discovery connections with individual viewers for, for 10, 15 years. But then that all came to a head with the Internet. And this is a very memeable movie. 
uh, as, as you well know, is I just recently discovered, by the way, that you're like the king of Instagram and Instagram memes. Uh, <laughs> Hardly I just, the king. Maybe the queen. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I mean, I, I think that, you know, who knows if this would have happened in quite the same way without the emergence of social media, but I think that's been a, a big part of the story. Yeah. You know, I remember uh, as a kid trying to find that song, you know, the, the I'll, I put a spell on you. Yeah, yeah. And it was, wasn't it not on, wasn't the soundtrack not released? Am I making this up? No, no, you're right. And so I did the same thing. I can remember going into like every media playing uh-huh. and every blockbuster music I could find uh, and, and like, you know, asking for the Hocus Pocus soundtrack. And when they would search for it in their little computers, it would come up because the soundtrack did exist. But it had a very limited distribution. It was primarily a promotional release uh, that was done not by Disney, but by John Debney, who composed the score. And it was a score-only release. So it didn't have mm. the two things that everyone really Everybody. wanted, which I put a spell on you in Garden of Magic. And and to this day, I put a spell on you has never gotten a proper commercial release. Uh, because I don't understand why. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a real mystery that you know Disney continues to do all these kind of best of best of our movies releases and they'll do like a five cd uh series and they'll have things from all yeah and they'll have stuff from like the parent trap you know all kinds of you know somewhat more obscure films but they they don't do hocus pocus i don't know why that's the case i have a bootleg copy of that song and it it has the speech at the beginning it's like the mp3 of it and i had that since the napster days it's like (laughs) i just want a high resolution copy of that yes i know i know and i feel like one day we will get that yeah, uh, you know, you know what I would love actually is for Bette Midler to release a greatest hits album and include mm-hmm. that on it. That would make me happy. Yeah, I noticed they started merchandising the movie more. I think even this year more than I've ever seen before. Where you know larger stores, I think Hot Topic has a line of uh, Hocus Pocus merch. So I just find it interesting now. It seems like it's taken so freaking long for them to really capitalize on it, but it seems like they're starting to. Yeah, and I do think there's a little bit of reluctance uh, from everyone. They're, they're sort of testing the water. Like, okay, people love this movie, but how much do they really love it? You know, mm-hmm. will they go? Will they go out and buy the merch? So yeah, this year I guess Disney licensed. Uh, Hocus Pocus to Spirit Halloween, which is you know like that pop up shop oh, yeah. Uh, Halloween store. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so if you go to those stores, I guess they've got you know, throw pillows and candles and signs and you know little keychains and all kinds of stuff. Uh, That's so Hocus interesting. Pocus. They just opened a Spirit Halloween right down the street from me, and I noticed the uh, right on the front door. There's like kids dressed up as those three witches. So that oh, makes that's sense so cool. that they're selling. Have you merch. been yet? I haven't been. No, I don't even oh, know if got- it's open. It must be open now. But it said coming soon. The last time, last time I drove by, yeah, so, I haven't gotten go. either. But uh, yeah, I, I'll be interested to see. So far, I get the sense that it's performing well, and I think if it does, then that will be a strong indicator to Disney and to the market at large next year uh, that okay, you know, there's really a lot you can do with this property. Okay, and speaking of the property, we have to talk about the sequ- the reboot they're doing. They just announced the reboot of this. From what everything I've read, all the actresses want to do a sequel. Everyone seems like they want to do a sequel, but Disney just announced that it's going to be a made-for-TV movie. Am I right? Yeah, you know, the, the so the official word from, from Freeform, uh, which is who released the statement, was I, I read it as, as kind of cagey and, and vague and ambiguous and probably uh, purposely so. I, I got to be a little bit careful here. So I, in full disclosure, I've known about this project for, for a little while. As I said, I've, I've gotten to talk with, like, cast and crew, and so I've, I've you know, uh, caught, you picked up on a little here and there. A little bit, yeah. And so, yeah, I, okay. I mean, I, I don't want to say too much, you know. So, but so I tell would me just everything. say that... <laughs> 
see because I want to be like respectful of everybody getting sure. to release what they want when they want. Um, but I would just like I, I'm I'm excited that I certainly like I totally understand the response, which has been kind of mixed, and there's definitely been like some disappointment in there. But I would just say like not everything. You know, we got a one sentence official statement I think from Freeform, and then a lot has been extrapolated from that. So I would just say to everybody, you know, just give it Calm a chance. Down. You know, let's 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 just let's see. Let's see where it goes and what happens and, and who gets involved and all that. So let's say you were the one creating this movie. What would you want? Would you want a reboot? Would you want a sequel? Would you want them to leave it alone? Oh, I don't want them to leave it alone. No. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, yeah, I want, I'm all for exploring Hocus Pocus in, in, in a whole bunch of new ways, like any new way. You know, like I feel like there are, if, if a new project provides even one new nugget for like our understanding or appreciation of this film, that it will have been worth it. Obviously, the dream is a new big budget sequel with a terrific story that's in theaters and the entire original cast returns. You know, that's the dream. If that can't happen, then I don't want nothing to happen, you know. And I would just remind people also to look at uh, Freaky Friday. So Freaky Friday was a theatrical comedy in like 1977, I think. Uh, and then everyone remembers the remake with, uh, with Lindsay Lohan and Jamie Lee Curtis. But in between those two things... There was a Disney Channel remake in 1995. It was just an A for TV movie, and it wasn't high profile or anything, but it did introduce this story to a whole new generation. And then that's what kind of enabled the, the Jamie Lee Curtis, Lindsay Lohan version to come along. And now, of course, we've since gotten a Broadway adaptation of that. And then it was just announced that, that Broadway musical is being made into a movie musical. And so, like, these things can help prolong the lives of properties and so you know even if this next installment isn't necessarily what what someone was hoping for if it isn't the dream project well it might you know pave the way for a, a dream project or something new and exciting or a broadway musical or who knows what you know another 10 years down the road. interesting i never even thought about that i like that take well so i what 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 was your kind of gut reaction to I mean, the news i was a i want i want exactly that the big budget sequel with that sarah jessica parker the entire cast. I want that. I want yeah. the sequel. I also remember reading a couple years back, and I think this was like an internet fan theory of Tina Fey writing um, yeah. a Hocus Pocus reboot or sequel or something, and it's like, oh my god, that would have been great. Yeah, and you know, what happened with that, by the way? Because Tina Fey was such a tease about this whole thing. Like, So yeah, you're right. The, the news broke that Tina Fey was writing a Hocus Pocus sequel, mm -hmm. and then both Tina Fey and Disney kind of like backtracked. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's, it's a witch comedy for Disney, but it's not a Hocus Pocus sequel. Everybody's like, oh, okay. But then Tina Fey was interviewed at some, I don't know if it was Comic-Con or some sort of fan convention, and, and somebody asked her about it. It's off the cuff. She, she said something to the effect of like, well, it's not, not about a Hocus Pocus. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then that's the last we, we, we've, ever, we've ever heard of that. But yeah, I think that would be another iteration of the dream. Like, Tina Fey is so funny yeah. and she's so great in these uh comedies that star women and that's another cool thing about hocus pocus is that in 1993 it's a movie that other than the one max character all of the human main characters are female yeah. and and i think tina fey would be so great in that mode and sh and she is like 90s obsessed herself like if you watch yeah. 30 rock or kimmy schmidt things that she writes she's obsessed with the 90s so I, I i think she would really do something clever with her you know that's been my argument i've been on this uh sex in the city three tirade lately <laughs> okay and i keep telling people like i know people didn't like the second movie i get it 
It wasn't great, but it's one of the few opportunities for a big-budget, female-led comedy. You know, something that's not about superheroes, something that would get a substantial budget and a substantial push from the studio, starring four women, four women over 50. It's like, there's no other opportunities for that. So when we have a property like that, or like Hocus Pocus, where it's like, it's for, it, it can be starring these older women, it's like, let's do it so that maybe they do well and we can get some more. Yeah, you're so right. And you know, so many of these movies do perform well. And it's 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 a head scratcher that Hollywood is perpetually shocked know, by this. Like disgusting. every time it happens, you know, Girls Trip just came out and it was this huge hit. It was very funny, by the way, I thought. Did you see yeah, it? Yeah, I Girls loved Trip? it. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. And, you know, the headlines were all just like, what? This movie's it's like, why are you surprised? This, this always happens. And by the way, I would love to see the first Wives Club, too. God, I know. <laughs> and that, that has been rumored for a number of years. And they want to do that, too. They've met the three of them, Diane Keaton, Goldie Hawn, and Bette Midler, have met for that. I don't, it's frustrating. They're doing it for the Paramount TV network. They're doing a TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And That's I actually, right. I read the uh, the script for the first version of that, Ooh. and it was terrible. Just, <laughs> just terrible. Um, no. And I just read last week that they're, they hired a new writer. Actually, it's I think it's maybe the writer of Girls Trip, actually. Someone involved with the movie Girls Trip is rewriting the property, the pilot, for TV. So it's going to be on the Paramount Network, which is a new new network it's what uh, spike tv used to be okay uh, well that's an, that's an interesting yeah. place for so I'm, I'm curious what the what the new iteration will be like but that first one that that script was shit <laughs> it was no good but yeah i want i mean it's the same thing i love that movie so much i have so much admiration for it and i want a big budget sequel and i'm like just give them the money and i i think i read an interview with goldie hahn or someone maybe it was bet but they said the studio wouldn't give them the money for it to do it. And it's like, it wasn't a lot of money. It was like, you know, 40 to 60 million. And the first movie made over 100 million. And it's like, I just want that. I want them to get the 60 million, Aaron. <laughs> I know. Oh, I'm totally with you. You know, and with, with Disney, I think that really is the problem. There was a time when Disney was very into making the mid-budget, mm-hmm. modestly successful film. That was kind of their bread and butter for, for most of the Disney life. existence. Yeah, absolutely. But Bob Iger, current CEO, has been very just sort of blatant about, you know, the idea that for him, a movie's not worth making now unless it's going to be part of a billion dollar plus franchise. And so that's where the company is. And they're they're Marvel, Star Wars, and the live action Disney fairy tales. And that's kind of all they're interested in. Mm -hmm. Everything else needs to go to television or what will soon be their online streaming service. And so I think other studios are still more open to the idea of the mid-budget comedy. Uh, what was uh, Goldie Hawn's uh, recent Smashed. film? That, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Things like that. So I, you know, I'm surprised that was it was Paramount that owns uh, First Wives Club. I'm surprised they wouldn't be more open to it. Yeah, it's it's Paramount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would, so. I would love it. But so in terms of like a Hocus Pocus reboot, I, my main thing is like I don't want it to be just some crappy Disney. Uh, uh, original movie thing yeah so i just wanted to at least have some sort of budget even if it's not the same cast i just wanted to get a little bit of a budget so that it it looks good it sounds good <laughs> so yeah. the sound is better than this podcast <laughs> <laughs> and that it looks sure pretty so yeah that's like you know the baseline for me yeah I'm, I'm with you and my hope is that you know disney corporate like if this goes on up to bob Iger or whoever 
has a sense of the, the capacity for Hocus Pocus, right? Like the potential, not only for an immediate success, but also the importance of continuing to kind of water these seeds so that generationally you do have this, this fandom. It's important to, to fan those flames. And so I hope that they're mindful of that and the value of the property and will kind of see to, uh, see to it being a quality production. And, and, I, and I have faith that they will. Now, um, are there any other Halloween movies you love? What else? What, do you like? You, are you a Practical Magic fan? Because I am. Oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, believe it or not, I don't know if I've seen Practical oh Magic. God. Is that terrible? Is it terrible that I haven't seen? No, it? I mean you should, but you should immediately get off this call and go watch it. <laughs> I might actually do that. No, I love so many Halloween movies though. It's so I I do a I do a big marathon every single year, and uh, I send out ballots to everyone who comes, and I let them vote. And there's a there's a horror ballot, and there's like a a, a festive slash family film bell and that's kind of the one i i favor so things like halloween town which you know is, yeah. is one of those disney channel original movies but i love it and and double double toil and trouble sure yeah with the olsen twins the, I love uh, the, those olsen twin movies were amazing they were it takes two it's the best yeah oh my god i loved it takes two that scene yeah. where they have the fight in the um the food fight it's like one of the most romantic scenes on film <laughs> Because <laughs> Steve Gutenberg and Kirstie Alley have so much chemistry in that movie. Yeah, undersung chemistry. Totally. Sure. I don't know why more people aren't talking about their chemistry. Right? <laughs> at least we are. <laughs> That'll be my next book. And so you're a Disney, you're a Disney junkie. What else do you like? What are what are some of your other like top three or a slew of your favorites? Disney specifically? Yeah. Yeah. If you're gonna yeah. write another, let's say you're writing another book about a movie that you love, what would you pick? But we don't. The writing the book thing is hard because so like okay I love yeah. Peach Dragon the the original live action Peach Dragon is probably my all time favorite Disney film I just don't know if a movie like that like enough people would care you know to write a book it's 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 like writing mm-hmm. a book's kind of fall in this very weird spot where like it's you know it's enough of kind of a niche film that that you know people are interested in it but like enough people have to be interested in it so I don't know but Peach Dragon is my favorite Mary Poppins maybe would, would work and I love that too uh, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks I'm really into kind of the the classic live action musical mode uh, on the animated and I love Sleeping Beauty Lion King of course all, all the 90s stuff what are your, some of your favorites oh god Aladdin's my favorite I mean in terms yeah. of animated but you know I love it all too I love the Pixar stuff Inside uh-huh. Out I love I'm really into Moana right now. Yeah. Um, and I miss those sort of, like we talked about the mid-budget. I miss those uh, Father of the Bride, which was, I think, Touchstone. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Disney yeah. adjacent. Sister Act is one of my favorites. Yes. Which me was too. originally offered to Bette Midler. Yeah, isn't that really interesting? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I'm, Whoopi Goldberg is like my favorite actress of all time. I'm kind of obsessed. And I love Sister Act. And what's really cool about that, like knowing that Bette Midler was supposed to have that role, is that one of um, Whoopi, Dolores Van Cartier's uh, backup singers in the movie is Jennifer Lewis, mm-hmm. who now is you know, the grandmother on Black. Yes. But she was like not well known at the time at all. But at that time, she was Bette Midler's backup singer, like in real life on her tours. Oh. And so the reason she got that role in Sister Act is because she was supposed to be there as Bette Midler's backup singer but she stayed on with the movie yeah isn't that cool Uh, did you see that uh i'm a huge view fan and um they did a sister act reunion on the view uh yes that it was it was on my birthday and i felt like it happened just for me oh my god Um, that's so cute it was so great but yeah wasn't that amazing like they they brought all the original nuns out and recreated it and Whoopi was like directing the choir oh it was was great i could have watched it for hours i wish it went on longer 
I know. It's a little bit messy, but yeah. I mean, the view always is. But I know. do you watch the we view? Love it oh, I do. Yeah, I mean, not not like every day or anything, but oh. yes. See, I watch it every day. It's like I watch it before bed. <laughs> it's, uh-huh. like, it's like my nighttime ritual before bed. I watch it, and I'm obsessed. I'm like a view. <laughs> a view I love fanatic. that. I love that. Yeah, to me, the view like it's great for watching, but also just studying sort of like the cast changes and all the casting drama. It is as interesting as you know, people get obsessed with totally. SNL and like the whole drama with you know casting changes every year. The view is every bit as interesting. You know, Joy Behar said she kept a journal during Rosie O'Donnell's original tenure on The View. And I want that journal so bad. She said one day she'll maybe publish it. And I would just die to read that i mean she has to publish that she has to publish that it would be like so i need good. to know what joy behar really thought about all of that i know she said when when it was announced rosie was coming on the first time she's like i know i knew it would be important so i decided to keep a daily journal and she did she said she still has it and she was on watch what happens live and andy cohen was trying to get her to publish it he's like come on like you have to do it you gotta publish it and she's like maybe one day but i would love to read it i love all that behind the scenes stuff well she she is one to often hint that like things are happening behind the scenes and she has an opinion on it but she can't share it yeah you often kind of get that sense from joy Behar. god i love it you know last year i she sent me a christmas card with um her signature on it she signed a card to me (laughs) Joy Behar sent you a Christmas card? Well, okay, wait. Let me let me sort of back up. So my Christmas card that I gave out to friends was a, a picture of a Christmas tree and Joy Behar's headshot, and it said, Joy to the world. <laughs> That's amazing. And I posted a picture of it on Instagram, and Joy's assistant messaged me, and she's like, oh, can you send Joy, can you mail this to me? I saw, send it, I showed it to Joy, and she laughed or whatever. And so I thought I was just, like, sending her one. Yeah. And then I got, a, I got it back in the mail. And she signed it to me. Danny, and, and she wrote so like cool. a nice note. And so, of course, I framed it and it's next to my bedside. <laughs> <laughs> Where you can glance at it while you're watching her. Yeah, yeah. So I love it. Well, listen, Aaron, this was so sweet of you to chat with me. And you haven't just written about Hocus Pocus. That's the book that I found you that I found you from, but what are your other books? Where can, what can people read? Yeah. So like you said, I'm a big Disney nerd. So that's uh, what I spend a lot of time writing about and talking about. So uh, I have this book series called uh, the thinking fans guide to Disney. You mentioned subtitle earlier. That is actually the subtitle for the Hocus Pocus book too. But uh, so the first book was about magic kingdom, the theme park at Walt Disney world. Uh, And then my latest book is a follow-up about Epcot, which is currently celebrating its 35th anniversary. Uh, so if there are any uh, Disney parks enthusiasts out there, uh, those books are uh, sort of in-depth looks at the uh, individual attractions. Uh, and then on the movie, and I've just done Hocus Pocus so far, but now you've got you've got my mind uh, stimulated for everything yeah. from, from Peach Dragon to It Takes Two, so who knows? And people listening, the book is so good. Like, it's it's a quick read, and it's just a lovely read. I mean, we need it in this, you know, atmosphere. I think people really enjoy it. If you're a fan of the movie or just a pop culture fan in general, I think you'll like it. And where can people find you on social media? That's so sweet of you to say. Thank you for that. Uh, So Twitter is my big thing. Uh, So at Aaron Wallace, it's just my name. Uh, That's really all you need to know. It's my website too, AaronWallaceOnline.com. So if you can just remember that, Aaron, with two days, then you can find me uh, pretty much anywhere. Awesome. And anything else we need you want to plug? I I think that's everything. You've you've been very comprehensive. Well, I thank you so much. Any oh wait, any other last thoughts about this movie? Like, is there any any weird trivia or tidbit that we didn't cover that you think people need to know? Oh gosh, you know there are so many. I don't I don't even have a good sense anymore of like what people know and don't know. Like yeah. just just tonight, George Takai, of all people, shared a list of Hocus Pocus facts, which I thought like I never would have put those two 
like him and, and Hocus Pocus together. But yeah, so one of the coolest things I think is that you know Sarah Jessica Parker went on this TV show. You, do you know about do you know this whole story where? No, tell me. Yeah, yeah, so she she traced her family tree. It was one oh, of the yeah, shows yeah. that does that for some Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. And and through this process, they discovered that her like great 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 grandmother, I think it was, or something like that, was accused of being a witch in Salem and was like put on trial in the Salem witch trials. Oh my gosh. And and right around the time uh, that her character uh, Sarah Sanderson was was put on trial in the film, and so you know obviously this is something that's that Sarah Jessica Parker had no idea of when she was making Hocus Pocus, and she didn't find out for decades later. But uh, I mean, Isn't what are the odds? It, yeah, it really is, uh, and and it sort of parallels you know the the, the journey that the movie took it meant nothing to her at the time or to any of them really at the time because it, it wasn't a success, and then decades go by and then all of a sudden it does mean something so it's very interesting wow. well the book is great and there's so much more in it that we didn't cover and i, I think people really really love it if if they're listening and they want to pick it up so thank you so much aaron i really really appreciate it uh yeah this was so much fun and uh i just started listening to your show so i've heard like two episodes so far but i really like it's it's a lot of fun to listen to all right guys thank you so much for listening i'm danny pellegrino I may be off next week. I'm going out of town, and I'm going to try to record something. But I'm not promising I'm going to get to it. I'm going to do my best, but no promises. If you like this podcast, please go rate and review it in iTunes or Google Play or wherever you can do that. And uh, follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Danny Pellegrino. On Facebook, I'm at Pellegrino Danny. <sighs> God, I'm, I'm exhausting, okay? But I love you guys. Happy Halloween. Uh, I can't wait to talk to you guys soon. Love you. Oh, how about we go out with some of that fun, <laughs> spooky Halloween music? Let's do that. Okay, bye guys. I love decorating the house and getting furniture, but sometimes it could be overwhelming to design a space. And so luckily I'm here to tell you about a company called Cozy. Now Cozy is fantastic, a North American company that thoughtfully designs furniture made for modern living. Now, Cozy strives to provide the best furniture shopping experience with elegant, super high quality products, plus fast delivery and easy assembly, which is really important to me because I do not like putting together furniture. So the easier, the better for me. Now, Cozy offers beautiful, customizable sofas and sectionals that are made to adapt in time. This means customers can add seats to the sofas over time. Maybe if you're extending your family, you might want more space on the couch. Cozy also offers a great range of coffee tables, washable rugs, wall shelving, credenzas, TV stands, and accessories. So much. It's thoughtfully designed furniture made for modern living. There's an outdoor sofa and tables collection that is fantastic. It's called the Mistral. So you can choose the perfect sofa configuration for your outdoor setup. Uh, Cozy also opened its first retail space on Queen Street in Toronto to push the experience to the next level and allow customers to engage physically with the products. So transform your living space today with Cozy. Visit Cozy.com, spelled C-O-Z-E-Y, to start customizing your furniture today. Again, that's Cozy, C-O-Z-E-Y.com.